0: Hello and welcome to The Convex Conversation with me, broadcaster Helen Fospero. It's 60 years since Sean Connery said those immortal words, Bond, James Bond, bringing Ian Fleming's fictional spy character to life. I've been a Bond fan as long as I can remember. So imagine my excitement when whilst filming high in snow-covered mountains in Austria a few winters ago, I was invited to experience the world's first cinematic installation dedicated to the 007 films before it was open or indeed finished. Some of the most adrenaline-fueled chase scenes of Spectre, starring Daniel Craig, were shot in Sölden, more than 3,000 metres above sea level, in the stunning glacial ski area I was working in. The world's highest museum is at the top of an imposing steel gondola nestled in the mountain, next to Ice Cube, a breathtaking glass restaurant which resembles a suspended cube of ice, a perfect Bond setting. The invitation for a sneak preview was from Jacob Faulkner, who was born and grew up in Solden. Jack is Managing Director of Bergbarn and Solden, chess 31 state-of-the-art lift systems, a hotel, beautiful restaurants in the mountains, including Ice Cube. Jack created and built 007 Elements with the blessing of the Broccoli family and with the creative expertise of Neil Callow, art director of No Time to Die, as well as Spectre, Skyfall, Quantum of Solace and Casino Royale. Neil and Jack are with me at the Hoxton Hotel in London. I'm laughing because I can't believe I tried to say Bond, James Bond, in front of the <laughs> art director. That was really rubbish, wasn't it, Neil? I thought you did quite well. Did you? was yeah. a bit brave to do it, wasn't it? You were quite
1: brave, but I think you pulled it off. Oh,
0: I think yeah. you're fibbing, actually, but anyway. <laughs> it is the 60th anniversary of the Bond franchise, so a really fitting time to talk. we feel lucky that we've got you both in the room at this really special time. It is a special time, isn't it, Neil, for the
1: franchise? Well I think it's a, it's an absolutely amazing time and it's really exciting for everyone who's been involved in been lucky enough to be involved in the production of these films and to be a part of the kind of bond family which is a big family of people who we all know and work with and have worked with many times over the years led from the top of course by Barbara and Michael who everybody loves to work for they're very loyal friendly people and create a lovely family atmosphere to work within so people love making those films and I think the results are clear on the screen for everybody
0: to see. Oh, they're definitely clear to see. And you met the Broccoli family, Jack, when you got involved with Elements and Elements was created by you and Neil in the mountains. Presumably they still have that wonderful passion for the 007 movies.
2: Well, I met Barbara Broccoli and Michael Milson first time in, I suppose it was September, October in London, 2014. This was the first time and at that moment we didn't speak about uh, elements, Uh, we spoke about the filming in Solden. They did it then in January and February, 15 days all in all, and it was really exciting.
0: And just explain, Jack, for those people who haven't been to Solden, why it felt at the top of the mountain such a fitting place to film Bond.
2: Well the reason was our new restaurant the Ice Queue this is a restaurant with a lot of glass so you have the view because the architect Hans Obermoser always said the star is the nature and he did it in a good way and this was the first year and then they saw it I think at the internet and Emma Bill she shows it to Sam Mendes And they thought it could be the right place. And it was the right place. We'll
0: talk about the filming of Spectre in a minute. But let's talk about elements first that we mentioned in the introduction. This is no ordinary installation. It takes you on a a journey, I think, if you like, through high-tech galleries and, and each pay homage to all the iconic elements that we've come to expect from 007, whether that be action sequences, dramatic scores, gadgets, cars, technology. How would you describe it, Neil? What was yours and Jack's vision for Elements?
1: Well, what we wanted to do with Elements was basically use the amazing authentic location that we had that we used for the shooting of Spectre and kind of elevate that position on the mountain by telling the story of how James Bond films were made within the context of a building that you might find in a James Bond film. It's an immersive experience to a point, but we wanted it to feel like you were really going to walk into the world of James Bond. So a bit like walking onto a film set, but a real place, real architecture, real solid surfaces and all of that. So that the guest experience would be akin to what you might feel like if you were to imagine yourself walking into a James Bond film. And we started with this absolutely amazing location. Like you say, it's 3,000 meters above sea level. You need to take two cable cars to get up there. And when you get up there, you're literally inside the very top of the summit of a mountain. So you can't really get more James Bond than that. So we started with this kind of amazing concept of where it was going to be. And then what we wanted to do is we wanted to celebrate the story and the legacy of various components that go into the making of a Bond film. So that's the music, the characters, the locations, the gadgetry and technology, action sequences and stunt sequences, special effects, and um, the actual film itself. So we wanted to tell that story of those components in a immersive way really so that you're within each one of the chambers within the museum you're being told half of the story through the atmosphere of the design of those chambers the lighting and all that stuff which is exactly how we design film sets we, we try and kind of give the audience the idea of the character or the scene that's going on through the environmental design so that some of the sort of heavy lifting of setting the scene, if you like, is done by the production design. That's exactly what we tried to do with Elements and bring that into the public realm.
0: It definitely feels like walking into elements, you're walking into Dr. No's lair or something like that. You definitely achieved that feeling of making you feel like you're part of the movie. For you, Jack, what was the vision? How did the idea come about? Obviously, you had the film crew making Spectre. But what was that moment when you thought, I want to do more with this and I want to create something really special?
2: Well, this was very early. It was the first time when I already was in London. I told you it was 2014 in October. I knew I want to do something because this brand is one of the most powerful brands in film business. This is very important and I knew for us it's perfect that they are filming. And so I said we have to do something because you have such a beautiful place over 3000 meters and it's so authentic. And from the elements you have two windows and from one window you see the glacier street where was the chasing with the cars, with the helicopter and all these things. So it's very authentic. But at that time I didn't know what we are doing. Later on I was flying to London again with my architect Hans Obermoser and we met Neil and there were some ideas and of course you have to check if it's possible or not possible and a lot of different ideas and I think from the first idea to the end it become much more space because at the beginning I can remember we spoke about 500 square meters and it ended up with 1300 square meters and I was not the creative guide. I was just the guide who said we have to do something with this brand. I had Neil, of course, for me very important. I had my architect Hans Obermoser. And they were, I would say, the creative people. Hans for the architecture. And I think it was really a perfect architecture. And so the combination, architecture and the content of Neil and Dino, I think this is really, it's, it's really a singular.
0: You mentioned the architecture. Your lift system in Solden is engineering like I've never seen it. I'm sure the Broccoli family realized very early on that when you do something, you do it top class, which really fits again with the Bond franchise, but you decided to build it inside the glacier. What architectural challenges did that present For you and the architect, I would imagine it wasn't an easy job.
2: Yeah, It was uh, really hard, (laughs) the building itself, because from the weather, it was a disaster, you know. After the summer, it was snowing and snowing and again snowing. And in November, we got one meter new snow. So the last cubic meters, we had to fly with the helicopter from the glacier to the Kogel because we wanted to finish it before we started in a new year with the content so this was really very very special but the big problem at this altitude is the permafrost ah, the permafrost interesting. you know if it's got the summers are getting warm so all the rocks can fall down and the permafrost is starting about and two Thousand and five hundred meters, and the Geisler coal is more than three thousand meters. So the first thing you have to look is the geological guy, and we have a very special guy who has now is in business fifty years and has a lot of experience. So he told us where we can handle it or not handle it. And when we really started the building, rocks were coming down. So the first time we had to close so we had to stop two and a half weeks we had to save the rocks and then start again so we lost already two and a half weeks
0: gosh and later
2: on I told you was the snow so it was an extremely extremely
1: building
0: from your point of view Neil was it almost like creating sets for the films except there you are doing something in in real life
1: Yes and no, you know, why it was like creating sets for the films is we were very lucky to work with Johan Obermoser, Hans Obermoser, who Jack just mentioned, who is an unbelievably talented architect and his understanding of the brand of 007 is deep as well. So in terms of architectural design, what we were doing was we were trying to pay homage to the legacy of the James Bond films and particularly Sir Ken Adam, a famous production designer of many Bond films. I think he did 11 Bond films. So if you look at his work, he's very much about creating light and shadow and dark spaces, big spaces versus small spaces, and lots of dramatic angles and kind of shapes and volumes that were created by those dramatic angles. So when we were talking with Hans right at the beginning of the project, that's what we wanted to get included in that design package was some of those compositions that you would have seen from Ken Adams original sketches, but we wanted to do the kind of the modern version inspired by Ken Adam based on that. And Hans completely understood that we did lots of sketches together to try and like get some of those compositions in there. And we worked out the, the route that the audience or the visitor would take through the um, installation. We wanted small dark spaces to suddenly open up to big wide lit spaces with huge views out over the mountains and all of that. stuff. now that all came from Ken Adam and all the other designers, Mark Tilsley, Dennis Gassner, who have been designing these films. And we also wanted the kind of the journey within the space to feel like a film. So it has moments of drama, moments of serenity, and then back to another moment of high drama, we had a soundscape running through the whole thing that accentuated all of that. So that was the the sort of architectural design package that we put together conceptually for the museum. Now, that's all very well and good to say that when you're standing, you know, in a nice like, warm office somewhere. But when you have to deliver that at 3,000 metres up in the air by hollowing out a section of a mountain summit that's made out of permafrost, that's a very different question. So, you know, where we built build film sets in studios and on location, we built film set perspective up there as well. But it was a film set. This has got to last forever. And it's got to have people walking around with push chairs and ski boots and whatever. So that's a very different thing. And that's why we needed the expertise of Hans Obermoser from the engineering side of it. So a fascinating kind of discussions with hans the way that he does these things is permafrost is basically a lump of ice with rocks inside it and those rocks within the ice are constantly moving around as the snow thaws and melts and freezes and so the museum itself is basically made up of nine submerged chambers within this moving pile of rock and ice those chambers are held together by incredibly thick rubber Seals like joints, connective tissue connecting them together so they so the whole unit can kind of move around within this permafrost without anyone ever really noticing it. And then those individual chambers are mounted on gyroscopic legs that can work out whether or not the thing is tilting by a millimeter this way and it can correct itself within this permafrost. So, this is all technology that's come from building cable car stations at very high altitudes, which Hans is the master of, and that's kind of his bread and butter work. And how I believe you guys met in the first place, actually, through cable car design. And the other thing about it is that there's no heater. You can't heat a museum in permafrost because obviously that then melts the permafrost in which it's encapsulated. So there's a very clever system where each chamber actually has... A cavity between the inner and outer wall. So that cavity is filled naturally with cold air. And that, like a sort of thermos mug, if you like, that keeps the heat which is generated by the visitors and the technology that's inside apart, you know, separates that heat, which is minimal, but it's still something from the permafrost which is banked up against the outer wall. So the whole thing is this kind of unbelievable. Futuristic technological piece of engineering, but as a visitor experience, what you hopefully see is and feel. You know, it's really important to feel the kind of quality of the space that you're in is representative of the legacy of Bond film design.
0: Gosh, and then you come to actually filling all the the rooms with film and sound and mm. gadgets and costumes and amazing stuff. Did it feel nice for you, Neil, to create something? That's a legacy and that's here to stay because I would imagine perhaps in Skyfall, I would imagine you're involved in in the Skyfall house, but obviously that disappears and Mm. it's a movie set. Is it really lovely for you and and for your children that you've created something that sits there on the mountain and, and is permanent?
1: Yes. I mean, what a privilege to do something like that. It's absolutely amazing, really. I didn't do the Skyfall house. That was my, my good friend, Dean Clegg, who did that one. I (laughs) I was in Istanbul for many months on, um, Skyfall and I did various other bits and pieces of that. I should just drop that in, but, (laughs) um, yeah. yeah, just an absolute privilege to do something like that and to kind of like be a part of this amazing team that put that together and be able to design something which is permanent architecture, you know, and also sort of a permanent installation celebrating James Bond, it's a real privilege. And we are constantly updating the museum. We're just about to do a lot of updates in there for the 60th anniversary, which is coming up on the 5th of October. So what we've done, we hope with Elements, is we've future-proofed it so that every time a new film comes out, we have the capability of changing the installations inside there, changing the digital content which is one of the things we've done this time to represent the new films into the 60th anniversary and when we were designing the building you you will remember there's a giant aeroplane hanging in you know one yeah. of the spaces in there which it, in itself was a bit of a challenge that had to be all helicoptered up there in pieces and then reassembled inside the action hall but there's a big set of doors which you don't really see in there. So one day we can take the aeroplane out and put a different installation in there. So the whole thing has been designed to be able to be updated and future proofed for you know for and many many and to evolve. With, you know? yeah,
0: with, yeah, with who's the new Bond? No, I'll ask you with, that. Later. With who, <laughs> oh, who is the new later. Bond and w- what is the new <laughs> Bond going to be? You know, when
1: whenever that happens, then we we're in a position where we can keep the museum relevant and it'll always have relevance, because it is an authentic filming location, and there'll always be the story of Spectre, which was made in Solden, in there.
0: Sound I know was very important to you, Jack, and in fact, that's why I think you asked me to go in before it was finished, because working in TV, you asked me what I thought to the sound. The sound on that day blew me away. come out over the years of Bond have been so popular and make the hairs on the back of your arms stand up. Music was key, wasn't it? That the feel of it and the sound was right for you.
2: Yeah, it was very important. And we had a special professor from Styria, acoustic professor. He was really a specialist. And I think if you are up on this altitude, it's not comparable to a normal room down here in London, whatever, you need a specialist. And for me, it's it's the combination of all this. It's the sound, it's the visual things, but it's also interactive. So it's not a museum. Therefore, we say seven elements, you know, because it's the elements of bond and this interactive tech lab, especially also interesting for younger people. You know, they are much more uh, born with technology and they go easy with these things. And I think it's the combination of all these things and the nature, and it's authentic. That's the most important thing.
0: What memories do you have, Jack, of the production team rolling in to your know, beautiful soldan and shooting all those action scenes?
2: It was a quite interesting time because you saw how many people working on a place like soldan. And I suppose there are also another places, like if you look at the film Spectre, Mexico, much more people. But even in Sudan at the top, there were more than 500 people. And it was a funny time. I was looking uh, one time at the glacier, The Chasing, one time at the ice queue, James Bond, Killing, and... I knew at that time because some scenes, they repeat and repeat and repeat. I would not, never have been born for a film. <laughs> it's, 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 it was quite funny for me when I saw that, you know, how often they have to do one scene, you know, and it must work, you know, when it's the chasing. Helicopter is flying, the airplane is flying in, the cars are coming out of the tunnel and it must be, Exactly. And sometimes it was 10 seconds less or more. And so they always had to repeat it. And, and at that time I knew I'm not born to be a, a actor. Yeah. And, but it was very interesting for me because I'm not in the film business. I'm in the tourism business. Of course, for me it was clear. Pont is very famous and I suppose it's the oldest, the oldest franchise with now 60 years. Also, I would say friends like Neil, we met at the time, we had sometimes a beer and the connection is going on and on. And it's always nice like now to see him and to speak about different things, you know. Tell us, Neil, a
0: bit about Spectre in Solden and will you describe for us some of the scenes that you shot there? Because they really were probably the most dramatic of Spectre, weren't they? Shot up there on the mountain.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the, the whole reason that we went to Soldam was because Jack had had the kind of like progressive foresight to build this brand new ice cube looking building with Johann Obermoser. And what we needed, what the script called for was we had Dr. Madeline Swan, played by Lea Sudu, who is this frosty, icy personality when we first meet her. And she works in a clinic. And we wanted somewhere in the Alps, in the high Alps, or any mountains, that represented her character architecturally, which is what we were just talking about earlier, you know, letting the letting the kind of scenery do half of the description, if you like, of a certain character. So the cinema audience get the oh, I get the idea subliminally of the type of person that she is. So we were looking for somewhere that represented that icy but very classy character. So, of course, Emma Pill, who's our location manager, you know, one of the top location managers in the world, discovered the Ice Queue and showed that to Barbara and Michael. And everyone was like, wow, we've got to go and see this place. This is absolutely perfect for it. So, as soon as they came out to see it, they fell in love with it. We knew that was going to be the place that we shot these scenes. But then, obviously, we had a chase sequence to do as well. So what often happens in film scripts is you get a line in the script. It seems like just one line, but costs a third of the budget of the entire movie. Where oh, This line says something like, Bond steals an aircraft and chases the vehicles down the hill and meets Madeline at the bottom. And then the script starts again. But that little small chunk of oh. type on a page, everybody knows that's going to be a big yeah, action sequence and it's up to our extremely talented stunt coordinators special effects guys and second unit directors to kind of like put meat on the bone if you like of course once we'd chosen the ice cube as the sort of hero location for madeleine Then it's like, well, what can we, how can we work this chase sequence out from there? So everybody looked around Solden. well, we could come down this road, we can do this, we could steal an aeroplane from over there, we can come out of this tunnel. We would sort of create that chase sequence based on locations that we could find in Solden, which is exactly what we did. And one of the, one of the, um, Chambers in the museum details how that was done, you know, how the different locations within Solden and a couple elsewhere in Austria as well were sort of stitched together to make this one seamless kind of snowscape, if you like, that we had this chase sequence on. But I mean, it's really interesting when you're doing stuff like that. And we were just talking about the the aeroplane chase sequence coming down the mountain on on the backside of the glacier there, which you can see from elements. That, and Jack was saying, you know, the timing of that is so important it was very tricky because the wind had to be in the right direction because basically what was happening there was the cars were driving as fast as they possibly could down this glacier road which in itself is a bit dicey let's say <laughs> oh, but, difficult. yeah there's ice and whatever on the, on the street but the plane was driving as slow as it possibly could in order for us to get the shots where the plane and the cars were looking like they were side by side so any gust of tailwind behind the plane the plane would just Zip off, and so because it's the mountains, you can't really predict what the wind direction or the wind speed is going to be at any single moment. So, you you mean Jack
0: couldn't do that for you? I mean, he he tried, he tried,
1: (laughs) (laughs) but one gust of wind and the plane would just go too far ahead. Because you, what you have to remember as an audience member of the film, you've got an aeroplane and three Range Rovers or whatever it was, two Range Rovers driving, but actually at the same time, you've also got two other camera vehicles on the road driving and a helicopter. So all of those things need to be in sync and in the right position in space to get the particular shot that we're trying to get. So that's why these things take many days to kind of
0: achieve. as art director, Neil, where does your responsibility lie? and, And how does it all come together for you? Because we've come to expect over the last 60 years that Every frame counts. The detail is Mm. extraordinary in a Bond film. What are your responsibilities and how do you start to build up to what you need to achieve on screen?
1: Well, to kind of like take the Austrian chunk of Spectre as an example, what would happen there is that I would be working with the production designer, Dennis Gassner, in in that film... And my job would be to look after the entire Austrian section. So what that actually involved was going back and forth to Austria, seeing what we had there. What we also needed to do was build the interior set of Madeline's office, which was much bigger than the real interior of the ice cube. So we took the architecture from Solden and we built a kind of four times the size interior version on stage at Pinewood Studios. And then we took a extremely high resolution 360 photograph from the top of where the ice cube was, printed it at 40 feet high and 250 feet long and lit it from behind. So that became a backdrop for the interior clinic set that you'll see in the film. So my job is to kind of work out how to do all of those bits.
2: That was the special time Barbara broke on me invited me to London. It was in the of January. And she showed me that. And I thought, I'm sitting in London, but on my Geislerkongel. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really incredible. And yeah. this, Barbara wanted to show me. So quite quick, she phoned me. I invited you to London. I must show you something. And I've seen it at the studio it really, I was very, very astonished.
0: <laughs> you must have thought you were hallucinating, Jack, sitting in Britain
2: yeah, yeah. in Ice Cube. Yeah, that was quite funny. <laughs> wow,
0: that's incredible to hear it all being pieced together. Your eyes do light up, Neil, when you talk about it. And what a job to have. How did you get involved in, I know you've, been, you've made other films over the years, but how did you get involved in art direction in the first place and then...
1: Bond. I was always into art and design and building. Always been into that. I'm still into it, obviously. And I went to art school in Brighton and then I came out of art school And I got a job as a graphic designer, but I always wanted to be in film because my best friend, when I was growing up, his dad was a production designer and I went on holiday with him once because his dad was working out in Los Angeles on the film Hook. And I was like massively into skateboarding at the time and whatever. I'd never been on a film set before. Anyway, we went to visit his dad at work and took us into one of the sound stages. I think it's at Paramount in LA. And I walked through this soundstage door. It's this amazing smell, which you always still get on film sets, which is basically sawdust and plaster and paint. And there was a tiny little hole in the back of this scaffolding. And I walked through this hole and looked in front of me, and there was an entire forest with all these professional skateboarders skateboarding in the roots of the trees, which had been designed as invisible skateboard ramps. Down through the forest, there was a lake, and on the lake was a pirate ship. And I just was like, what is going on? This is absolutely amazing. So from that day on, I always wanted to get into film. And uh, I I actually had no idea at that time that they even made films in the UK. I thought everything was like made in Hollywood. And then slowly you start to go, oh, what, they made Star Wars here and Indiana Jones. And so, you know, I had no idea of that kind of history. I had no family members in the film industry or anything like that. But anyway, I got the bug at that point. And later on in my career, Norman Garwood, who's the name of the designer, who was doing Hook, gave me a job as a runner on a film. And so I got a job as a runner with Norman. And then a couple of films later, I got a job on Tomb Raider as the art department assistant, Angelina Jolie's first Tomb Raider. That
0: must have been tough working with Angelina Jolie.
1: She is the same age as me, which is is quite funny. (laughs) I remember her her turning up on uh, the first day that she was there she'd just done Girl Interrupted, I think. And she came in and she was kind of all dressed in denim, kind of cool girl. And then of course, she then goes off through the transformation to become Lara Croft. But it was an amazing job for me. And I met lots and lots of people on that job who I subsequently worked with and for the next 10 years. And then at some point, I got a job on Casino Royale. And that was absolutely amazing. You know, I was this kind of young art director living in London. And of course I wanted to work on a James Bond film and they gave me a job, which I was kind of like, oh my God, I've got a job on a James Bond film. And then the next thing that happened was they said, oh, can you go to the Bahamas for like six months? And I was like, "Yep." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what an amazing experience because we were working on that big set at the beginning with the cranes and Daniel jumping from one crane to the other and the whole chase sequence. And various other sets, of course, in the Bahamas, the one and only club and everything. And I met my wife there, my now wife, which was amazing. And from then, just continued doing other films and subsequently got another job, Quantum, and then Skyfall, and then Spectre, and recently No Time to Die. So It's great,
0: really, that you've done all of Daniel Craig's films. I've been lucky enough to interview Daniel. Is he a pleasure to work with? I would imagine You'd say yes to that.
1: (laughs) Of course. I mean, he's amazing to work with. And as a set designer, one thing that I've noticed and is a real pleasure is that we spend all this time researching, oh, you know, like, for example, when I was doing Bond's house in Jamaica recently, that was one of my sets to do. We had to kind of think, right, Bond's retired. He's moved to Jamaica. What kind of house would Bond live in, in Jamaica? And we spend all this time doing research, and of course the septic department do all the research, and what book would he be reading, and what kind of whatever drinks would he have in his cabinet? So we're sort of building this architectural version of the character of James Bond at that particular moment in his life, in the story. But it's not until Daniel turns up on the set that it all comes together. You're considering everything to the nth degree. And it's just absolutely amazing as an art director when the character walks onto the set because then everything comes together and you're like, oh my God, you know, it actually works. And he looks like James Bond. The set that you've been working on, painting bits of wood or whatever, is now a James Bond film set and he's acting. He has become James Bond within this space. And that's a real privilege. And as a personality, Daniel's fantastic. He's like really engaged with the crew, friends with a lot of people on the crew, always chatting and joking and being Daniel, really, when he's not being James Bond. It's an incredible job that those guys do to encapsulate those characters and everything that goes along with those characters and bring their own take on Fleming's original descriptions. And Daniel obviously has been amazingly successful at that. I wish it was hard for him
0: to shoot his last scene because he knew, didn't he, in No Time to Die, that, that was it, and mm. that's the end. Did it feel emotional on set to say goodbye to him? As
1: Very emotional. You can see this footage of his last scene, which was on the back lot set at Pinewood in what was supposed to be Cuba, was actually in you Hertfordshire know, or whatever, in Buckinghamshire. Yeah, it's very emotional. And of course, he's been working with a lot of these people for 15 years, just on the Bond films. And obviously, when he does other films, some of those same people will appear on those films. So working on films like that, it becomes kind of like a very family atmosphere. Everyone knows each other. Everyone spends a lot of time together. Everyone goes on location together. So you get to know these people very well. And of course, when you sort of say goodbye to those people, it is an emotional thing, especially when you know that that whole set of people and that sort of era of Daniel Craig's bond is coming to a a close.
0: Big shoes to fill, and I just wonder when you f- would find out as part of the team who the next Bond will be. Will you all know way before it's announced publicly?
1: Often not, actually. No, you you don't because t- the thing is with social media and just the kind of you know this sort all of connectivity of the world of communication at the moment is that everything has to be kept under wraps just in case, because people unwillingly or accidentally can share something which can get out. So a lot of the time, We find out at the same time as the general public find out, things like that. Or what will happen is the publicity team at Eon will announce it on purpose to the public at a certain time, but let us know half an hour before or whatever. You have to be relatively careful with these things. And truth is that no one knows what's going to happen with the next Bond film, who the next Bond's going to be. It's still relatively recently that the last Bond film came out, and of course, Daniel gave it his personality and his take. So we really have to let Barbara and Michael and the team over at E.ON consider what direction they're going to go in next and give them the breathing space to kind of consider all that. You know, we're here to be ready to design stuff or whatever we're asked to do.
0: You're ready to go to Bermuda, aren't you? At the drop of a hat. (laughs) You'll do it. And of course, Jack, your family hosted Daniel Craig when he was filming Spectre. What was that like?
2: Well, the first time I met him on the Geisler Kogel, he was introduced. They made some pictures and I must say I was very impressed. He's very polite. And even when he left Solden, I know that from my sister where they stayed in the Hotel Pergland he wrote a letter to the, some, to the people who served him, know, like waiter or the, the chambermaid or all this stuff. And made a present, a bottle of wine or bottle of champagne, whatever. And so I think he was very, very polite. And as I could see, I think I'm not, I'm not a film uh, guide, but I think he was very, very polite, professional, and uh, I like Daniel Craig, of course, as a James Bond.
0: So he didn't say to you. I'm Bond, James Bond. I can't <laughs> believe she's gone for a second time. Such a fool.
2: I always say I'm Czech, Czech
0: Falkner. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Thinking now, it's a time for reflection, isn't it? As as the franchise celebrates 60 years. And my favorite little film from telly days was meeting Roger Moore. And the time, I was working on breakfast television here. And I went out to do an interview in Monte Carlo with him. When he arrived, he was wearing all pale lemon (laughs) from head to toe, very. Very Roger Moore, pale lemon shirt, pale lemon trousers. And after the interview was done, he said, "You know, could I take you and and the crew to lunch?" And I was like, "Hang on, let me just think about that." Yes. So we went for a fantastic lunch in Monte Carlo. And at the time, I was working for Sky News, and I was just leaving, moving to breakfast television actually, to take a new job as an entertainment correspondent. So fast forward a few weeks, and I turn up first day on the job. My background had been news; I hadn't specialised in entertainment, and. I walked into the office and they saw I'm dating myself because they said, There's a fax for you. I'm like, A fax? Who sent me a fax? It was a fax from Roger making me look like a real superstar that I really was an entertainment correspondent <laughs> saying, dear Helen, I know it's your first day today and just wanted to wish you all the best. And was, what a gent, hey? That's
1: amazing. He what was a very charming, wasn't he? Roger Moore was the James Bond that I grew up with watching rather than being involved with the films. And of course, it was just absolutely brilliant fun and you know, got me into James Bond in the first place. And... By all accounts, he was as charming and as humorous and witty off screen as he was on screen. Everybody says that. And by the time I ever met Roger Moore, which was much, much later on, I think I met him at a charity auction, but he was still commanding the room and entertaining everyone in in his unique way. But yeah, he was an amazing, amazing guy.
0: What celebrations uh, can we expect now to mark that 60th anniversary? Uh,
1: There's a lot of stuff going on for the 60th anniversary, which is on 5th of October this year. The big thing that they're really celebrating this time is the music and all that fantastic collaboration with all of the artists that have been part of the James Bond family over the legacy and the history of the movies. So there's a big concert going to happen at the Royal Albert Hall and that'll be streamed day after it happens. And I think it might be shown live as well. And there's, you know, Shirley Bassey, Jamie Cullum, many, many other people, garbage, I think are turning out to play. And it's the London Philharmonic Concert Orchestra who'll be playing all the tunes from James Bond over the years. So that's a really big event. There's also a music documentary that's going to be released, being directed by Matt Whitecross, which is going to go through the entire legacy of all of these amazing, you know, film soundtracks and collaborations with all these various artists. There's also a charity auction where all the proceeds obviously go to various different charities that are supported by Eon Productions. So there'll be some fantastic stuff to have a look at there. We're doing a lot of updates at Elements. So there'll be lots of stuff to do with the 60th anniversary up there as well, as well as updating a lot of the installations to just show some of the stuff from No Time to Die and also some of the other stuff that we haven't seen in there before. So there'll be some new, unique stuff in there. So there's lots of things going on. I mean, the most important thing, I think, is the celebration of not only the legacy of Bond, but the music of Bond, because as we were discussing earlier, it's such an important component. And if you think back to the music of John Barry and the, the kind of the style that that gave the movies, this kind of absolutely unique And at the time, very fashionable and stylish sounds that went along with the visuals that you were seeing on the screens and the amazing fashion, cars, you know, technology that we were seeing through those years in the 60s and 70s, that was supported and elevated by the music of John Barry and others, of course, who he collaborated with during the production of those films. And I think we have to kind of be... So thankful that those guys were involved because that is as important as any other component in the making of those films and the kind of the brand, if you like, of uh, of 007 and the legacy.
0: And does it feel special for you, Jack, following in your father's footsteps who really did bring tourism to a beautiful part of the world? Does it feel nice to sit back and think, actually, you're part of that celebration of the 60 years of what is the most iconic film brand in the world?
2: Yeah, it's for me, it's the most iconic film brand. And it was a special moment to create this uh, 007 elements on this special place. And of course, I was very happy and I could do in, in the last years a lot of new things. Fantastic cable car to the guys like Kogel or the, uh, the highest capacity with the new cable car to the Gigioch or at the beginning of the valley, it's a summer product, there's area 47. Or if you look at Langenfeld, beside Solden, there is the Aquadome. These were all things I could uh, help to, to happen. And of course, you are living at the end for the things you do, not for the things about you speak. That's always the most important thing. Do it, just do it.
0: And you do just do it, Jack. In 1948, not in implying that you were around then, but in 1948 in Solden there was one little chairlift. And you go there now, and thanks to you, it's it's state of the art, it's breathtaking. And that's all down to your hard work and your vision. You really are a doer, aren't you? You're not built to be on a film set, Jack, watching shoot after shoot after shoot. You just get out there and do it.
2: Well, I must say... I have a big respect for my father and the people at that time because they started this business and it was really hard, you can imagine what it meant to build a lift at 1948, you know? And I had the last 25 years where I could do with very other circumstances, my work, but it's uh, it's my job to do new things. It's my job to have the offerings state of the art And of course, the most nice things are quite new things you can't expect, like uh, 007 Elements, but you see the chance and you have to realise it and then to do it. And hopefully there are a lot of things to do for the future.
0: I'm sure there are. Just indulges, Neil. Just thinking back about the films that you've made, the Bond films, what have been your favourite bits to work on or most memorable
1: I absolutely loved working on Casino Royale. If we're talking exclusively about the Bond films, Casino Royale, I think is my favorite film that I've worked on because it was my first Bond film. And I met my wife and I met the whole family involved with Bond, you know, all the extra people, special effects teams, stunt teams, many of whom I've gone on with to work with for 15 years since. That was a a very memorable movie. The amazing part of my career was what we did in Austria, because not only was it shooting a film and working all that out, all the technicalities of shooting a film at 3000 meters up in the snow, but also what that led to working with a visionary person like Jack, who is one of these people, as you describe, who a rare type of person who actually does this stuff, has the vision to do it and then does it. And so it was a real privilege for me to be part of that journey with Jack and Hans Obermoser and the rest of the team that works on that. I ended up spending a lot of time in Austria, and I still go back and forth to Austria whenever I can to go and see these guys and do bits and pieces in the museum. So that's become a real memorable chapter of my life and ongoing. My kids learn to ski at Solden now. And Neil is a good skier. Is he? Yeah, good. Does he really have time a good to ski? Good ski? Really good skier.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and what about No Time to Die, the latest film, which was also fantastic? What was your favourite? part of making
1: that I was lucky enough to be in charge of the Jamaica section of that film so I went went to Jamaica and got to kind of design and build James Bond's house out there and all the other bits and pieces and Jamaica again what a fantastic country that is it's absolutely an amazing place we employed all the local guys from the town of Port Antonio where we were based to help us build it. And they of course gave us all their expertise and they said, oh no, this is the way you build it out here. And this is the type of wood you'd use. And this is the kind of jointing you'd use on the timber and all that stuff. So we really just became a team with those guys out there and we had a great time. It was brilliant fun. And of course,
0: Ian Fleming wrote books in the first place. So it doesn't get more authentic than that. Thank you so much. Uh, I mean, I could actually talk all day and I know we'll talk again, Jack, won't we? Next time I'm in Saldan. I'm always finding the excuse to go back to (laughs) Saldan. One of my favourite places in the world. But also thank you, Neil, for finding time because I know that the 60th anniversary celebration is going to be big. I'm sure you're busy, but it's been a pleasure to speak to both of you today. So thank you very much.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to Neil Callow, art director of No Time to Die and four other Bond films, and Jakob Falkner, who created an open 007 Elements high in the Austrian mountains with Neil after Spectre was filmed there. Download and subscribe to our series at convex.podbean.com or search The Convex Conversation on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple and Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to yours.